the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. Today we're going to be in Matthew 10. Uh, so we've called, Jesus has been baptized. Uh, he did the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, 8 and 9, Jesus shows in his incredible power. Uh, and now we're going to get into Matthew 10. Now Matthew 10 is where Jesus uh, sends out his disciples. So they've been with him, right? They've learned kind of how Jesus operates, the kind of things that he does. Uh, and then we'll remember at the end of Matthew 9, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what Jesus uh, meant by that is that there's so much that the church can do in the world around us, and it's just me. I can't do it all. So I'm going to empower the disciples, and then the disciples are going to empower other people, and then those people are going to empower other people, and we're going to reach the whole entire world with the good news of the gospel. And um, But it's not just the good news of the gospel, because if you listen to what Jesus calls the disciples to go out and do, um, it is uh, it is to basically do the things that Jesus was doing. So. We're going to look into that. We're going to investigate it. We're going to talk about it a little bit because um, uh, what Jesus called the disciples to do, is that the things that we're supposed to be doing today? Or are we supposed to be doing something completely different from that today? So that is the, that is the question. So um, let me just make sure this is off. Yeah, okay. So we're going to go right into Matthew 10. Actually, I don't really need my glasses. I, I do sometimes, but I blew it up really big so I could read it. So here we go. Beginning of verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. So he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So right there at the beginning, Matthew says what we got called to, because Matthew was a disciple. He said what we got called to was the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Okay, so we'll talk about that more later. But we're going to actually go into verse 2, which is, who are these disciples? So these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, right? We all know Simon, Simon Peter. Uh, he's the one that um, was bold and audacious. And Jesus, uh, uh, my favorite story in the whole entire New Testament is where Jesus uh, is walking on the water. And he tells Peter, okay, come walk on the water with me. And Peter does. And he actually walks on the water and then he looks around and sees, hey, I'm walking on water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink like a lead balloon. Uh, always my favorite story and, and, and Peter is one of my favorite disciples. So uh, for sure when I was younger, he was my favorite disciple. But the, the more I've matured in age, I might have changed a little bit to John. But I like John and I like Peter. They're both my favorite disciples. And... Um, Let's see, Peter was martyred in Rome. Uh, we know that from scripture, uh, historical evidence. Um, let's see, Simon, Peter, uh, so he has a brother named Andrew. So Peter and Andrew are fishermen and they're out fishing one day uh, and Jesus calls them. Uh, and then you also have uh, James and John. And James and John are the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder, right? And so James and John and Peter and Andrew, the four of them are all four fishermen. And they're all four out on the sea when Jesus sees them, he calls all four of them. So you get Peter, Andrew, James, and John. James and John leave their dad, right? 
and, and Peter and Andrew leave their boats and fishing nets and all that. They probably left it with, you know, James, John, dad, the sons of Zebedee. Um, and then they follow Jesus. So right away with just one instance, Jesus gets four followers right there. Um, so you have, uh, and Zebedee, yeah, Zebedee, uh, if you think about it, there's other places in scripture where Je Je Zebedee had uh, servant, uh, other fishermen that worked for him. So he was probably a man of means. So you have, uh, and it might, maybe I wonder if, you know, Peter and Andrew worked for Zebedee, right? You get those two and you get James and John, you know, with the family lineage, <laughs> you know, working for the family business. And, uh, and uh, they all went. Um, I actually worked for the family business for a while. My dad uh, owned a civil engineering firm. And uh, that's why I became a civil engineer. I went to college, uh, got a degree in civil engineering uh, to work for the family business. And um, it's interesting working for the family business. Uh, if any of you who've worked for the family business will know this, that there's lots of challenges and wonderful opportunities in working in the family business. And um, when I worked in the family business, if my dad needed additional help, Oftentimes he would come to his kids and say, hey, do you know anybody, you know, at school or whatever that's looking for a job? And so sometimes I would go out and recruit, as did my brothers and sisters, seven kids in my family, right? Seven kids. We all seven worked at one point for the family business doing all sorts of crazy things. And all of us at one point recruited and got other people working in the family business. So it works. So that's uh, whenever I think of... Uh, of James and John, I'm thinking of the family business, right? They're working for Zebedee, who is the owner of the business. And then Peter, uh, Peter and Andrew, yeah, James and John, Peter and Andrew. And Andrew and Peter working for Zebedee's family business. Anyway, um, then we have, uh, so I don't know where I am. J James and John, James the son of Zebedee uh, and his brother John, uh, Philip, which is a Greek name, and Bartholomew, who was also known as Nathaniel, came from Cana. So if you remember, uh, one of Jesus' first miracles was the wedding at Cana where he changed the water into wine. Well, they probably went to Cana, and Philip and Bartholomew were all from Cana. Then you have Thomas, and that's the doubting Thomas, you know, when Jesus rises from the dead and he shows himself, Thomas is not there, he comes back into the room, and they say, hey, we've seen Jesus. And they're like, and Thomas is like, yeah, right. <laughs> you guys, what are you all smoking? You've not seen Jesus. And uh, so Jesus came back and had him put his hand in the side and all that. So doubting Thomas. He's also known as Didymus. I don't know if you know that, but uh, Thomas, Didymus means that uh, he probably had a twin, brother or sister. I don't know. Um, they... Uh, but uh, we don't know much about that. That's not in the, but, <clears throat> but he was known in, in other places in scripture, he's known as Didymus, which indicates he might have had a twin. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, that's the one who's writing this gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus. So it's a different James, right? So you have, whenever Jesus was with his like core group, it was Peter, James, and John. I don't know what happened to Andrew, but you have Peter, James, and John. And they were all like really close to, to Jesus. They all kind of hung out together. You know, the first four that Jesus called um, and then you have another James that's part of this group, and history has known him as James the Lesser. Um, you know, certainly a great disciple, follower of Jesus, but he's called James the, Le James the Lesser because he wasn't one of the original three that always hung out with Jesus. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, 
who's also known as Jude or Judas, but he's not Judas Iscariot. So that's probably why he's called Thaddeus. Then you have Simon the Zealot. Uh, a zealot was typically a political activist. A uh, political activist would be, uh, who are political activists today? Everybody, I mean, everybody seems to be political activists. Uh, people who want to stir things up, right? People want change, you know, and they look at the existing government, you know, a lot of times these political activists are thrown into prison, die in prison, but not this guy. Simon um, the Zealot, different Simon than Simon Peter, and then Judas Iscariot, of course, who betrayed Jesus. And um, I think we did a Bible study, or the men did a Bible study of all these 12 disciples, because history has created this rich... Um, history of every single one of these disciples, like where they came from, where they were born. A lot of it's in the scriptures, uh, but some of it is not in the scriptures. A lot of it's extra scripture stuff just from people, you know, creating uh, stories about these disciples, where they lived, what they did. Um, so it's, uh, it's fun to think about uh, where they went and what they did. Um, the early church might have had the bones of some of these people or the hair of some of these people or the blood of some of these people or the sword that killed some of these people. So, you know, finding these artifacts and, and at church, if they had these artifacts, you know, they would say, we're the church with, with Simon the Zealot's sword that he killed somebody with. And you have all these things. Um, but uh, but it, whether or not these things actually happened, we don't know. I mean, I mean, we just can't know. These are These are... I wouldn't say urban legends because they're probably true, but we just don't know for sure. We don't have the same historical accuracy for a lot of that stuff that we do for Scripture. With scripture, there's incredible amount of historical accuracy. The, um, uh, there, are, there, are, there are so many different copies of the New Testament that came in a whole bunch of different areas when they go and they pull them all together. It's just amazing how much the Old and the New Testament we actually have preserved and it doesn't change and it's really, uh, it's amazing actually when you look at it. Uh, but not about the disciples. Uh, Peter, we know, ended up in Rome. John uh, died um, as a very, very old man. He was on the island of Patmos for a very long time, but then after Diocletian died, uh, he went to um, uh, he went to Ephesus, and there he remained in Ephesus where he died, uh, leading the church at Ephesus. Uh, Nathaniel and Thomas went to India. Matthew uh, went to Egypt and Ethiopia. So the guy that wrote this gospel went uh, to Egypt, and first to Egypt, and then went down to Ethiopia. And there's a strong Christian presence in Ethiopia and Egypt. Um, some, uh, some people say that the Ark of the Covenant is down in that area. You know, it's some church. There, it's in the foundation of the church, and you can't destroy the church to see if it's in there because it's in the foundation. Uh, whether or not that's true or no, I don't know. It's called an elephant, I think it's elephantine uh, area, or the Church of Elephantine or something like that. Simon uh, preached on the west coast of Africa. Uh, and then he went to England, where he was crucified in 74 AD. That one I kind of believe because the Church of England, right, has really good history, and that's kind of where we come from and all that. Uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas went to southern Turkey. Um, so there's a rich history of these guys. All right, so these 12, now we're starting again in verse 5. Uh, let's see if we're open. Yes. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles. So Jesus tells these 12 initially, don't go to the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. 
which were Jews, but they were Jews half-breed because they didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem. These Jews that were Samaritan had their own area where they worshiped Jesus or worshiped God. They'd built their own temple. It was in Samaria. Um, they interbred with people outside of the Jewish faith. Uh, and so the Jews really didn't like them. There was kind of a bit of a rivalry between Samaritans and, and Jews. You can't go there. You can't go to the Gentiles. You can't go to the Samaritans. Go instead to the lost sheep of Israel. And remember uh, in John 10, where Jesus says, I have other sheep that I must go to. Um, some people think it might be the lost sheep of Israel. The lost sheep of Israel are the people that God loves that aren't the Israelites, right? So go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So this is the primary message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely you give. So uh, if you'll remember, after, uh, after Jesus had the Sermon on the Mount, then in verses uh, chapter uh, 8 and 9, that's exactly what Jesus did, right? He healed the sick, uh, he cleansed those who have leprosy, he drove out demons, he raised the dead. Um, so the disciples have seen all these things that Jesus has done, and now Jesus says, okay, I want you now to go out and do the same thing. And um, like some of these things just aren't that shocking. I mean, we can kind of understand it. Like maybe a sick person is not all that sick, but raising the dead, cleansing people of leprosy, driving out demons, you know, these are things that um, today we certainly uh, would be looked at as crazy if we went out and did these things. Um, so the big question is, does Jesus want us to go out and proclaim the message the kingdom of heaven has come near? Yes, that one, absolutely. Heal the sick? Probably. Uh, you know, the amazing thing is, is that um, when there was the plagues in Rome, it was the Christians that went in to Rome to heal those people, to be with those people, to love those people, to care for those people. Um, everybody else left. So right now we've got a plague, I guess you could call it. We've got this coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, and part of what you know, we as Christians are called to do is to love those people that have this. You know, we, we have now this whole entire medical community um, that has all the science and all that. So it's all backed up with you know, case studies of what's the best way to treat COVID-19 and how do you treat COVID-19 and how do you... Um, and, and a lot of the... A lot of the healing that, uh, that goes with a person is the love and the compassion and the care. And you'll get through this and praying over people, and laying hands on people and all that sort of stuff. And we can't do it right now. Her, doctors and nurses can do it if, if they are called to do that. And I mean, what a wonderful blessing if they're in those, you know, if a, if a nurse or a doctor says, uh, can I pray for you? And, and the person receiving the care says, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen that happen more times than I can tell you. That is a wonderful thing. Um, but, but big medical, right, has their, you cannot overstep your bounds into big medical stuff because you have to be licensed and all that stuff. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but uh, I think right now in our world today, I mean, praying over somebody is a great thing. Telling the pro, you know, proclamation that the kingdom has come is a great thing. Um, but a lot of these other things, uh, just we don't see a whole lot of. But, um, but the other, the big one is thy kingdom come, right? 
So he says, uh, the kingdom of heaven has come near, which is the big message of Jesus. The first thing he said is the kingdom of heaven is now here. And uh, we as Christians are in that kingdom. We will live in that kingdom for the rest of our life. And we will serve the king for the rest of our lives. That kingdom has already come. Uh, and now we ask God to let that kingdom come in us so that we can serve you for the rest of our life. Uh, it's all about the kingdom and what God's called you to do when you live in the kingdom. And, um, uh, and that is basically doing these things, uh, healing the sick. And, and you know, it's not, a, it's, not, it's not hard to imagine that for a long time, most of the hospitals that were developed were developed as Christian, you know, as a subset of different Christian organizations, right? Uh, you used to have Lutheran hospitals and Methodist hospitals and Catholic hospitals. And all these hospitals came to be because our calling to, to heal the sick, right? And that's what hospitals do. They heal the sick. It's an extension of this call of Jesus. Um, it's very rare. I don't know. Is Carondelet still a Catholic hospital? You go in there and, uh, um, and you see, you know, pictures of all different things. I think it's still his own. But most hospitals, it's just too... The medical profession has become so rigid uh, and, has, and has so many different components to it, to billing and all that sort of thing, that I just don't think it's possible for an organization to run a hospital anymore. I think it has to go into the private sector. I just don't know. I mean, it's, we live in a different world. Um, but that's all part of what Jesus called, you know, um, raise the dead. Uh, so in scripture, there is a couple of instances where there was a, Peter raised the dead. Uh, Dorcas or Tabitha, he raised her. And then Paul, if you remember, he was preaching once uh, in Acts and uh, he was going pretty long. And the person, there was a person that fell out, you know, watching and fell down and was dead. And Paul raised him from the dead. Um, so Peter and Paul did, did raise people from the dead. And if you go into the church history, right, there was other people that raised people from the dead. We don't hear very often of people being raised from the dead today. Uh, verse 9. Now this is interesting. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or that town. Shake the dust off your feet. Feet, Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So Jesus says, it's interesting what he tells him. He says, now when you go into the town uh, to go into to these things I've told you, to heal, to, um, to you know, blessing and all that sort of thing. When you go into these towns, don't take anything with you. And why does Jesus say this? Well, because imagine the incredible power that you could have if you could raise people from the dead or heal people or, um, or do the things that Jesus is calling these disciples to do. Uh, it, it would be, you could very, very quickly become one of the richest people in, in town, right? You, you, could, you could set up shop, hey, come to me, I'm gonna do all this sort of thing. Jesus says, no, my power is not to be used for your gain. My power is not to be used so that you be, may become rich, right? You're going to come into this town with nothing, and you're going to leave this town with nothing. Now, when you're in the town, you know, they, it's perfectly fine to get a meal from people, to have a place to stay. You know, if they want to give things to you, that's fine, but it stays there. 
Um, and I, I think about today people on TV that, that uh, say that they're, that they're doing healings and that sort of thing. And um, the reason why I am somewhat skeptical of those people that do that, although it is biblical, uh, is that uh, they are very, very, very wealthy people. And uh, they use their power to increase their wealth. Uh, and I believe that Jesus told the disciples to go into these towns with nothing and to leave these towns with nothing. And so I truly believe that if you are a follower of Jesus, trying to be a disciple like Jesus did, uh, and let's, say, let's just say it's to, to, to put your hands on somebody and to pray for them. I mean, that simple. Someone's sick and you just, God, I'm, I'm laying my hands on this person. I'm praying that you be with them through the sickness, help them get healed from the sickness or whatever. I mean, uh, and it, it doesn't even have to be a physical sickness. It could be an emotional sickness. I mean, there's a lot of different parts of the human body, right? That, that you should never, ever as a Christian use that um, as a way to get, to get money. I mean, it should never, ever be about the money. It should be about Christians being called to do these things. Because, um, you know, I, I believe that, I don't know who said it, uh, I used to know, like Lord Acton or something like that. It was, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I just so much believe that. It is so difficult to manage an incredible amount of money. Some people do it very well, and, and then there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but there are a lot of people, a lot of powerful people, that, that don't use it, their, their funds very well. So, verse 16. I am sending you out like a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes, as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils. You'll be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what they say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So here we have another trinity, by the way. Jesus is telling him, it's the spirit from your father. So you have father, son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so you wouldn't think that a person going from town to town doing these great things would be arrested and thrown into jail, and you'd be wrong. Because if you heal the sick, if you drive out demons, if you heal leprosy, if you do all these things, then you are fighting a power structure that is very entrenched and they're not going to like it. They didn't like Jesus. They're not going to like it with you either. And so you will be thrown into jail. I mean, if I were to go around now healing people from leprosy, I would be thrown into jail because, well, yeah, I would be thrown into jail because the AMA, the American Medical Association would throw me into jail, right? I mean, Nobody likes their power to be challenged at all. And so when you challenge people's power, then those people in power are going to challenge you. They're going to throw you into jail. They're going to flog you. Um, they're going to throw you into jail. They're going to handle you over to local councils, all that sort of thing. So what Jesus is talking about is really what he's talking about. I want you to go in. I want you to heal people. And you're going to be, you're going to be thrown into jail because of this. And... Um, and so, because power, people with power don't like their power challenged. All right. Uh, we're going to go on verse 21. Because it gets really bad. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. 
children rebel against their parents and have them put to death, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So Jesus is stirring up the kingdom. Jesus is sending these people out, and it's not only people who in power that are gonna that are gonna be angry with them and throw them into jail, but brother against brother to death, children. I mean, when Jesus comes, when this kingdom comes, and it does what kingdom stuff does, it it challenges every relationship, it challenges every political structure, it challenges everything. Uh, the kingdom is a very powerful thing, and it's a very dangerous thing. Um, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Verse 24 goes on. The student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So you can tell a lot by the head of the household. Uh, you can tell a lot about the household by the head of the household. But do not be afraid of them, he goes on in verse 26. For there is nothing concealed that will be, not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So even if you die, they can't kill your soul. Um, uh, do not be afraid to kill the body and soul. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So even in the midst of this, even in the midst of all the persecution that Jesus is talking about to the disciples as they go out, he says, but I'm with you. And God knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He cannot, the, the, the Beelzebub or the devil, or the evil one, cannot destroy your soul uh, because of the soul. I have your soul in my hands. Uh, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're in the kingdom, it, you should know that even in the midst of this coronavirus, Jesus got your soul. He's got you. He's holding on to you. The death cannot even part you from, from Jesus. The death cannot part you from the kingdom of God. You are in the kingdom now and forever. So act like a person in the kingdom, right? I mean, that's, that's the blessing and the joy of being in the kingdom is that you're in the kingdom. It's today. Uh, my, well, you know, we just went through Easter and, one of, and Easter is where Jesus had the Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, um, if, you've ever, if you've ever been to a Jewish Passover meal or seen one on, on TV or whatever, uh, the person leading the Passover meal very, very many times leans back in a chair and grabs a glass of wine and has a wine and a glass. Why do they do that? Why do they look as if they're, they're you know, the, the chosen of God? It's because they are the chosen of God. God chose them uh, to rescue them out of slavery in Egypt, and then they became God's people. And so every time that they're in the Passover, they act as if they're God's people. And um, when, when you are in the kingdom... Uh, you know, don't be haughty and don't be, you know, well, I'm a better than anybody else because that's not what the being about the kingdom is. But there is some level of, hey, I'm a child of the king, like a Passover meal. All right. All right. Verse 32. Uh, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. 
Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. It doesn't sound like it. Uh, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemy will be the members of his own household. This is quoting the Old Testament. So again, Jesus is the promised Messiah. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so Jesus is saying, uh, I am more important than any relationship you have. I'm more important than any government you have. I'm more important than anything that you want in your life. And if you put me first, then you know he who seeks me first will have everything, everything that you could possibly want. Now, it's not the things that you necessarily want, but when you're in the kingdom and you start living as the kingdom and start wanting kingdom things as God you know, works in your life, then you begin to realize that you have everything you could possibly want in life. And there's very, very little things that a person steeped in kingdom living really, really wants in life. I mean, when I was younger, uh, I remember you know, with a degree in civil engineering and my dad owned a company, it's like, man, I wanna be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 years old, right? Um, and that's kind of what I wanted. That's what I felt God wanted for me in my life. Now that I'm older and wiser, um, I want totally, totally different things. And my joy and happiness and my peacefulness come from totally different things. Because when you're young and you're young in the faith, uh, you want different things. But as you grow and you mature in your faith, uh, the things that you're, the heart, the desires of your heart change dramatically. Um, but it is true that uh, the seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Jesus, if Jesus is first in your life and you really live your life uh, loving him and having him be first in your life, he changes you, he molds you, he shapes the things that you want. Uh, it can cause division in a lot of different places. It can cause a lot of turmoil in a lot of other places too. And it mostly causes turmoil in people who are threatened. Um, that's just the way life is, right? If the devil feels threatened, he puts barriers in your life too. Verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to the one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So basically, Jesus is saying here that when they welcome you, they're welcoming me. When they give you a cup of water, they're giving me a cup of water. Uh, you are my ambassador. So the things that happen to you and the things that you do are the things that they're doing to me. And the words and the proclamations and the healing and the love and the care and the concern that you give, that's my love and care and concern. Um, I'm sending you out. You're my disciples. You're my ambassadors. You're my nurses and doctors. I said that nurse. No, I'm not going to say that. You're my agents of love and compassion and care in the world around you. And that's basically what Jesus sent out his disciples to do. And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, at some level, 
He is calling you to these same things. Um, that's a scary thought, especially if you think that Jesus is calling you to raise the dead because uh, I've not seen that before. <laughs> um, but I have seen Jesus uh, love people through other disciples of Jesus. I've seen amazing, wonderful care, compassion, and concern, uh, healing uh, through the power of Jesus' love in a person's life. Um, so at, at a minimum, those things are, are tangible and reachable by a disciple of Jesus. The other things, that's a big question. Uh, did the power of these things go away when the disciples died, or does it still exist in the church? That is a big question today. Um, some would say yes, some would say no. Uh, and that is, a, that is I'm not going to answer that question today. <laughs> Everybody has to answer that question for themselves. But uh, that's what Jesus sent the disciples out for. And, uh, and I am here today as a follower of Jesus Christ because of some disciple that shared the good news with me, shared Jesus' love with me, um, walked with me through my dark times. So not, you know, various different people at different times in life. So uh, I am a healthy follower and lover of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I have everything I would ever want in life um, because of God's church working in my life through various disciples. So um, that is basically taking us through Matthew 10. And uh, I, I pray this is beneficial for you. Um, we're going to move into Matthew 11 tomorrow, so that should be a lot of fun too. And uh, I pray God's richest blessing in your life. Uh, I pray that, that this time is a time of reflection, a time of loving people around you, a time of compassion and concern, a time of growing in your faith. And um, until we meet again, let's, uh, let's close this out with prayer. Dear Jesus, uh, you called us to be your disciples. And that means that we are to follow you like your disciples followed you and to love you like your disciples loved you and to go out into the world like your disciples went out of the world. Uh, help us to understand deeply what this means. Help us through this to draw closer to you. Uh, may your spirit continue to work in your church and in us. And until we meet again, we thank you for your life in our life. In your name we pray, amen.